Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? It's your boy here, Logan Taylor with YB Normal. This is the Class in Session podcast. Yes, I, yes, yes. Logan Taylor. I have my amazing co-host, Mr. Dante Hampton, and we have a special guest here with, with us uh, today. We have Mr. Felix Beasley, all right? Felix Beasley, and this is the Class in Session podcast. Dante? Yeah, so Mr. Beasley is uh, doing some great work in the Chattanooga community. Um, he's the second. Like, he um, he actually had a career before this, and he was doing about 20 years working in, in the business sector and management. Uh, one of his gifts is connecting with the youth and seeing the good in, in all of people, including kids. Um, prior to teaching, he spent many years volunteering at um, various uh, urban youth centers and throughout the community. Uh, he has an undergraduate degree in business management from UTC, as well as having a certificate in pastoral care for Tennessee Temple University. And he has a master's degree in curriculum and instruction for education from Tennessee Technology University. Um, he's coming up on his ninth year as being an educator. And like I said, um, Mr. Beasley's doing great things. We actually met Mr. Beasley um, our very first time. When we actually did our first, first very curriculum in Orchard Knob Elementary. And um, we had a lot of kids over there from various tiers as far as behavior issues. And Mr. Beasley's um, making great changes over there. So, Mr. Beasley, we're excited to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mr. Beasley, how you doing, my guy? Doing very well, very well. Glad it's uh, getting a little bit of a break for summer break. So I'm doing very well this evening. Thank you guys for having me on your podcast this afternoon. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. So just um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. So I know, you know, Dante read uh, your bio. I, I heard that this is your eighth year. So what ninth, made you, I'm sorry, your ninth year, excuse me. What made you, what made you make a shift to want to get into education? Well, um, the shift really was not um, something I planned exactly. It kind of just happened. Uh, as Dante mentioned, I, um, you know, God gives everybody gifts and we have to acknowledge whatever the gift is. You know, I, I never was a person that was quote unquote crazy about uh, kids or young people, but that was the gift God gave me. And somehow or another, I always ended up in some type of role as being like a mentor, a big brother uh, or something as, you know, as life just kind of traveled. Uh, teaching, uh, I ended up teaching many years ago, teaching, uh, they asked me to teach vacation Bible school out of the blue, six to eight year, eight year olds. So I got my feet wet with some six to eight year olds. They wore me out. They taught me good. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I enjoyed it. And then I went on to teach it for several years after that. Um, so I was in the business sector. I was actually working in banking. And uh, there's a program called Project Inspire, which offers um, people with graduate, uh, undergraduate degrees, excuse me, to opportunity to return to school and get a, a graduate degree in education. And you go through a residential program at the same time. And so I applied for it. And, um, <clears throat> and it happened to be the person that that uh, was recruiting new men and knew of me and knew of my involvement at various uh, throughout the community and working with young people. And he quickly kind of called me and we got the ball kind of rolling there. I did my residency at Dalewood, uh, teaching seventh grade and uh, went through the program in a year to uh, it was very intense because I was teaching during the day and then uh, doing schoolwork at night. But I went through the program and 
graduated with my degree in, uh, with a master's degree in education. So that's kind of how I kind of got into it. And it's been a wonderful journey. Um, I'll say that, you know, sometimes you're living and you think you're doing what you want to do. But when you get aligned with what God wants you to do and when you align with his will, uh, there are days I wake up and I say, I need to get a job. <clears throat> and then I realize I have a job, but it's because I enjoy what I'm doing so much that it doesn't even feel like work. Uh, I enjoy every aspect and every part of teaching and being a classroom teacher. People ask me, do you want to be an administrator? I said, no, I want to be in the in the trenches with the young people uh, and modeling uh, behavior and modeling uh, what it means to be a black male educator before them. I love that. I love that. You know, a lot of people don't look at it from that lens, right? Like a lot of people look at it of look at it in the lens of, yes, I'm gonna be an educator, but now I want to be an administrator, right? Because some people don't like being in the trenches, as you, as you say, and so you know, I think that that's that's amazing, and I didn't even know about Project Inspire. Um, and how you could do a residency um, if you have an undergrad and then be able to go to class and stuff. So that's amazing. So I commend you and I tip my hat to you. Um, and I always, always, always uh, appreciate you for everything that you do. Because like Dante said, we first met you at Orchard Knob. So that's when you first heard about us. And that's when we first heard about you. And we built a relationship from there. And uh, it's been amazing. And so I really, really appreciate uh, what you do. Thank you. Now, now, Mr. Beasley, um, what's what's a common myth or should we say um, a perception? No, we'll just say what's a common myth you would say about your field or being a teacher? Just simply being uh, an educator. What's something that everybody thinks, you know, as far as a teacher, whether it is um, teachers have the easiest jobs or, you know, teachers nowadays, they say teachers are the new parents. You know, what what is a myth? that everybody thinks that could be wrong or perceived wrong to the community, to the public? Uh, I think you 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 uh, hit the nail on the head. I think people think that teachers have like the easiest job in the world. And you'll have people say, you know, I don't understand why teachers want, are always advocating for a, a higher pay or advocating for more. You know, they don't, they don't work in the summertime. They get all these breaks and, you know, it's just they work from uh, the school is open eight to three. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so they think that that's the life of a teacher. But what's uh, it really is a myth. And I think that for all of us who were once students, that's what we think. You know, we went to school from eight o'clock to three o'clock and that was like a school day. But for a teacher, you know, our work starts before that and our work extends far beyond that. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the more content areas you teach, uh, the more you more work you have to do. And so, for example, if you're an elementary school teacher who's teaching social studies, science, math, writing, reading, um, you have to you have to plan lessons for all of that. You have to prepare your lessons for all of that. And then you also have to be able to uh, grade papers after that. So, you know, I say the average teacher works a, a minimal of 50 hours per week, even though uh, the state of Tennessee acknowledges us kind of as a state employee that, that's paid for 37.5 hours. Uh, we, uh, you know, the average teacher works uh, at least 50 hours, uh, even if you were teaching a high school and you were teaching algebra one class and the algebra two class, you have to do a lot of work in the background in order to teach. 
Um, I don't know if, you know, if people really know that when when you're teaching, you have to start thinking like a student and you we figure out what error will the student make? What do we think the student is going to what's going to be a misconception? Uh, what is going to be something that they're going to do this that's not correct? And how am I going to correct it or how am I going to let them figure out how to correct it on their own? So it's a lot of planning that goes into teaching and in each lesson, uh, <clears throat> each lesson, each um, each. Uh, course that you're teaching, there's a lot of work on the back end that goes in. And typically in the school day, you don't have a lot of time between that eight and three, uh, particularly as an elementary school teacher, you really don't uh, have a lot of time to do any work there. Most of your work happens probably between three and six or seven in the evening. And uh, most teachers, of course, work on the weekends too. So we work a lot during the school year. And the only way I I say the only way it evens itself out is when we get a, is the breaks uh, is um, is summer break because it kind of balances back out a little bit where you get, quote, some time off. But it kind of takes away from all the extra work that you've done throughout the school year. And speaking of speaking of hours um, now, this is just a little off topic a little bit now. Would you do you think there's a setting to where things could maybe be like you do four hours here in a day or is there a creative schedule you think for teachers, you know, in order for them to be successful? I remember uh, my little brother went to Hardy Elementary and they tried the year round school. He didn't like it, but my mother liked it because they did basically quarterly almost. You would go for a quarter, you reset for two weeks and you go for a quarter. And it was, it was unique, you know, different because, of course, with change, everything takes takes time. They end up not finishing it. But do you think there is a set of hours for a teacher or, or a setting to help them be, um, well, just cause um, less burnout since there's a lot of teachers that are actually getting out of the field? Well, you know, I've heard a lot of teachers uh, make suggestions. Uh, I think that most people look at, at Finland I think it's one of the school systems has one of the greatest school systems in the world. And I think they go on a four day week and they have three day, you know, uh, and they may go a little bit more of an extended school year. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that for a teacher, we have to learn uh, to balance our time, to be organized and to not wear yourself out. Uh, when I was a manager, one of the things I would always tell my team is you can only do what you can do. Once you've done what you can do, that's it. You can't keep pushing it and think you're going to squeeze and get more, um, more juice from the apple when the apple is, you know, is dry. Uh, you have to get, you have to give yourself time to rest. And really, the effectiveness of your teaching is so directly related to your rest and how well you feel. So I don't know if there's a magic formula as much as there is um, a lot of really just a needing to find ways to um, to to uh, include time for you and yourself. And then I say another thing, you talked about time. Uh, um, a lot of times in the summertime, we do what's called professional development. Um, okay. And so yep. we go to uh, different classes. I don't know if people know that or not, but we go to a lot of different classes in different curriculum areas in order to improve our teaching skills. And so I used to, um, I didn't this year, I haven't the last couple of years, but I used to go uh, spend my June as a month and I might spend a couple of weeks doing some type of training in math and classes in math and maybe uh, three or four days in science. And then July was kind of the month I kind of took off to recuperate and rest. Right. Uh, we have to have that time to 
trained to and to yep. do professional development, our licenses require we do a certain amount of professional development in order for us to renew them. So if you take away the summer, then that means you're going to be adding on hours during the day. And that I think is uh, to me, that's worse than uh, than having having a summer break and the way it is now. Okay, okay. Get it, get another one. Give them something. Low. Okay, cool. So let me ask you this, um, Mr. Beasley. You were talking about um, like your summer, how you the breaks make up for your school year. How do you avoid educator burnout? Um, you know, you have to remember the reason that you teach, and I think that for this is just my personal opinion. I think that. Educators become burnout because there's so much politics involved in teaching. And so there are all these parties that play, you know, to have a say so and provide input. And really, uh, you know, a lot of times none of those people are ever in a classroom or really uh, or really, you know, know what you're doing. And I think it's the some of it's the stress from dealing with knowing that there are outside people doing things and controlling. I think that when you um, if you step back and go back to what you love, uh, I, I love what I do. And so whatever decisions you make, you know, I can't always control what decisions the state or the county or the district makes. Uh, but I do I can control my passion and my love for 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 uh, for the kids and for teaching. It's the same way as if they go and change or make a law and it changes uh, or, dry, or they change the roads. We may not know, like the way that the road has been changed, redesigned, but eventually, you know, you look beyond that to get to your destination. Uh, and so I, I think that we just, as educators, have to be careful not to be uh, caught up in all of the things that's going on around us, all of the evaluations. And we know it's a very extensive evaluation to be uh, for teaching all the observations, uh, you know, and, and all of that stuff that that I think weighs heavy on teachers shoulders because you're in there doing the best that you can do. Um, nobody really knows what all you may endure because no one's in there but you and your students. Uh, but then, you know, someone walks in and they see something or whatever, and they make a judgment of you based on a 10 minute observation. And I think that's what causes teachers to really become burned out because the people sometimes who are evaluating them don't really know that person's heart, nor do they know how that person's feeling that day. Uh, it's all about, uh, oftentimes it's too much about numbers and trying to get this percentage of kids, whatever it is, and we just miss the whole point. And so I would just encourage teachers, you know, and I would encourage people in life just in general, you know, don't let yourself become distracted with the politics and rules and things that are going on around you. You do what you're supposed to do. And most of the time, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, then you're going to find peace and you're going to be OK because you can't control what other people are changing. You just do the best you can do and find peace with it. And that, and, and so and, and then make sure you take time. Self-care is important. Take time to rest. You cannot take all your, you know, uh, my doctor was telling me his wife's a teacher. He said they. They went to the beach once. They saw a lady. She drug all these bags and books out there. He looked up. He knew she was a teacher. She was grading papers at the beach. Mm -hmm. You have to be wow. able to balance. Oh, yeah. Well, I used to grade. Dante, I used to grade them on. Uh, that was not New Year's, not New Year's, Christmas Eve ritual. Christmas Eve, I would always spend time <laughs> grading my papers because I always tried to have time the week after Christmas to have kind of free. So I always worked gotcha. and graded and playing. Wow. But you have to find a way to 
disconnect from the world of education and don't let it pull you in. Absolutely. That's good. Wow. Wow. That's good. That's good. I haven't heard that one, Logan. That, wow. I that might be the best one. That's good yeah. right there. Like that. that was that was powerful right there. So let me let me ask you this. What what uh subject did you teach this past year? Uh the last three years I've been teaching science, seventh grade science. Okay. So let me ask you this. What strategies do you use that work in a classroom when it comes to um, when it comes to science and dealing with your students, what strategies, what strategies do you use that work in the classroom? As far as like managing the students and so forth Correct. and making as sure the lesson's as, being taught. Yep. As far as the lesson being taught, as far as managing the students, because I do know that especially like when you were at Orchard Knob, you're the students, you had students that were very, very, very rowdy. And, you know, you dealt with them, you dealt with them in a way that was just so nurturing and so caring and so loving that you could always get whatever it is that you need out of them. And so I know that you're teaching at the middle school level now. And so you're teaching science. And so what strategies do you use that are effective um, to help you to help you, you know, manage the classroom or be able to teach the lesson in an effective way? Okay. Um, well, first of all, um, I tell I tell other teachers, you know, sometimes. First of all, we have to remember kids are kids. Um, it, you know, I think of the cheese. It's commercial when they cheese is uh, is not mature, and so he's laughing and giggling. Yeah. Uh, kids are kids, and so um, as a teacher, you know, there has to be a level of expectation to me for a child to not think a kid is going to act like an adult. Uh, and I tell my students at the beginning of the year. I don't expect perfect students. As a matter of fact, I expect students who are going to make bad choices. I expect students that are going to mess up. I, I expect students that are going to, going to um, have good days and bad days. Uh, so it's okay to not be perfect because kids are, they are not mature yet. They're, they're, you know, um, and so when, when kids are behaving, you know, you can't stress yourself out with it uh, because sometimes kids are just being kids. They're just doing what kids do. Uh, but for me, uh, classroom wise, the most important thing is to have a relationship with your students and to know it, to know your students. And when I say no students, a lot of time teachers will say, well, I know my students really well. I know that they live in this area or they have you know, these many siblings. But when I say no, when I when I say I know my students, I know what my students need. I know exactly what each one of them need. I know how to motivate each one of them. Uh, I know how to correct. I mean, I know my students. And so uh, each there I won't say no, no two kids are the same, but we have to remember kids are individual. And so you can't treat. Uh, now, and I say that, too, sometimes you can't treat all kids the same. And a lot of people get shocked. Oh, yeah, you got to treat them. As, you can be equitable and you can be fair, but you can't always treat all kids the same because all kids are different. You have to know what each kid needs. So some kids, you know that if if you're out of line or getting out of line, maybe maybe a, a raising of the voice might turn it around. Some kids, you raise your voice, it would mean nothing, you know. But one of the things I do with students, uh, if if they're not doing what I want them to do in classroom, I normally pull them out my, pull them out in the hallway, and I'll. Um, and, and a lot of times uh, I think the other their peers, I think, oh, he's in trouble or she's in trouble. But I put them in the hallway and I'll tell them 
um, you know, I check in with them, you know, hey, are you okay? You know, and I'll say things like, you know, I'm, I'm really disappointed that you, you know, that you weren't listening in class. And I really thought that me and you had a good relationship and I thought you was on my team. You know, what do I need to do to help you be on my team? Can You know, how can we make it work? And, and typically little things like that are what changes a kid's perspective and perception of their teacher. Because now all of a sudden we're working together. And so, you know, and it's never, I never normally have to say, here's a consequence for it. But just the idea of wanting to be, you know, on the teacher's team and being, you know, it, being uh, being seen in a positive light uh, is what changes the behavior. So, you know, then the kid will go back. They'll, most of them they'll say, oh, I, I'll, do, I'll do better. I'll do I'll better. And when they go back in and they make improvements, I acknowledge that. Hey, you know, oh, man, I really do appreciate you. Oh, you stepped up. I'm so proud of you. Um, because uh, a lot of kids just want positive attention and positive, um, you know, hear positive things from adults. Kids always hear what they don't do right. So I make it very intentional to make sure I tell them what they do correct. I may not correct you just because you're misbehaving. And I'm, I probably won't correct you in front of everybody. You know, you may act up and and I may not say much of anything to you until after the class and I talk to you or whatever it is. And but I it's just you just have to know your kids. You Absolutely. just really have to know you have to know your students. Uh you know, some kids are really defensive. You know, if I meet a kid and I know he's defensive already or she's already defensive, then I'm not gonna I'm gonna compliment them. Oh, I like those shoes, man. I love them shoes you're wearing. Yeah. You know, or if they're wearing a hat and should have a hat on, I'll say, I love your hat, but you really ain't supposed to have it on in class. Can you take it off for me? You know, things like that. But uh connect with them and it'll turn their behavior around. It's really not that difficult, in my opinion. You just have to take time to know each one of your students, know what they need, and meet that need. I love it. So building the relationship. So how you build the relationship is, is that you make an effort, right? You make an effort mm -hmm. to be equitable with each student that you have in your classroom, correct? Correct. Um, and so being equitable, being respectful and then knowing their needs let, let me let me ask you this how do you know the need of which individual child need is it does it go by you asking them questions or does it go by like hey i've experienced this before in the past with another scholar so you know this is something similar like how do you how do you build off of that i observe the student typically i i i i i, I do a I kind of do a temperature check of my classroom and I also uh, daily. So if my kids uh, come in and they and they appear that their mood is off or something, then it's no point in me trying to teach you right now. Let me find out what I need to do to get your mood shifted back to ready to learn. But I observe the student, um, for example, and I'll just say there was a kid that I um, he was a sixth grader when I met him and I said he was doing something he wasn't supposed to do. And I corrected him. And he got a really, you know, he kind of got an attitude and smarted back at me. And I said, you know, maybe we need to call your parents. And his response was, I don't care. You know, call my parents if you want to. So I met him as a sixth grader. I knew that the next year I was going to have him for a whole 180 days. So during the summertime, it was my, you know, it was my responsibility to strategize what was I going to do to um, to help this kid and help this kid to be engaged in my class and, uh, to minimize behavior issues. So I already knew that he was easily defensive. That's what I picked up. 
if anybody says something to him, he became defensive, somewhat argumentative. And so I know that if I approach him in the classroom in any way that's kind of correcting a behavior without establishing some good relationship on the front end, this is what I'm going to get back from him. I'm going to get a bad attitude. I'm going to get, um, you know, I don't care. Call my mom if you want to or whatever it is. So when the school year started, he would do things and, uh, you know, and I wouldn't say a whole lot to him, but I, I would say, hey, you know, I would, I would compliment him all the time. You know, I love those shoes you got on. And his immediate reaction was, oh, you jugging. I can jug too. I can jug too. And I would just kind of walk off. And so then the next day I was like, man, you know, you you rocking that tie or whatever it is. And, oh, oh you jugging? You jugging? It was every time. And this went on for about a month. So finally, one day I pulled him to the side and I said, um, "You, uh, I, I thought that me and you were going to have a really good relationship. Um, seemed like every time I try to compliment you, you get upset with me. And his response was, you did. You tried to compliment me? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I told you I like your shoes or whatever, you know. He said, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that's what you were saying. His behavior changed. Never had a problem with him. Never had a behavior issue with him the rest of the school year. He just needed someone, and, and in him, I could tell what the issue was. He had been constantly told what he was doing wrong, and he had he rarely heard things he was doing right. So I had to know him well enough to know that I have to uh, undo that behavior for him to be successful in my room. And so, like I said, he was I didn't have a problem with him the whole school year. And the other teachers say they did, but I never had a problem with him. He always did anything I asked him to do. He did his work. I would let him teach my class sometime. You know, just really never had an issue with him. But you have to kind of observe them, watch three kids' body language. Children's body language tells so much about them. And try to figure out uh, instead of trying to make them do what I want them to do, try to figure out what can I do to draw them into the classroom? What can I do to make them feel comfortable? What can I do to help them to get this uh, weight off their shoulders or this tension or whatever it is? Uh, and so that's what I kind of do. And it takes time. Teaching a bit of time to get through all of them, but I kind of have like a, 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 a an invisible, I probably need to write down a checklist, but I kind of have an invisible checklist of who I, if I, you know, who I know I've connected with or sit down and talk to. And, you know, that's the other thing about it is uh, sometimes just sitting down and having conversations with kids about just general stuff to get to kind of know them too. But if they have a behavior issue, make them smile. I had, I had another kid, and you all probably know him, but he would come in every day with a bad attitude. And um, and it was because the parents argued on the way <laughs> on the way to school and things like that would happen. So I already knew when he come in, I would always say something to make him laugh. I would always do something, you know, to to uh, to, to to make him smile and to release that anger he had when he walked in the door of that school at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, say something positive, make him laugh, make him smile, and get that off of his shoulders so that he could be ready to learn. But again, you have to step back and uh, scan your classroom. Look at them. Look at their faces. Look at their body language and try to figure out, you know, what's going on. And instead of jumping to conclusions or instead of thinking that um, yelling at them or raising your voice or giving consequences is going to change it, you have to kind of figure out what is the problem and then how am I, as the, as the grown-up in the room, how what am I going to do? Um, to help this student to learn. 
And that's one of the, um, you know, that's one of the joys I have in teaching that I enjoy the most is trying to figure that kid out and trying to figure out how to turn that behavior around and how to get them to engage in, in learning. I love it. So making it, making an effort, mm-hmm. right? So making an effort. I, I love that. I love how you, you take initiative in making an effort to learn that scholar to how can I, how can I impact his life in a positive way? Because like you said, the story you just told the student, all he was told was everything that he done wrong. So when you complimented him, he combated that and thought of it as something negative automatically because that's just what he's been conditioned to to believe because of everything that he's heard. So I think that that's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Like just making sure that you put the effort uh, when it comes to being a teacher and things of that nature. Dante, come on, man. Um, I think what I got from Mr. Bees is that I really like. Um, so for everybody who's out there listening, um, that strategy of temperature check, I think that's very key. Um, in all schools, no matter your demographic, no matter what it is, I think that temperature check um, was major. And I think that's what's needed before anybody could teach anything, no matter what the subject is. I, I really like that. Um, but speaking of that, Mr. Beasley, what you think about, um, do you think there is a trigger? Like um, in the sense of can teachers have too much pride to where they trigger their kids to where they might not perform as well because of their own, their own, they're in their own way, pretty much. Like for me, um, I can remember a time where I was struggling in the English class, and Miss Vella, she's a, she was a principal now, but she's probably she was so hard, and so I felt like her pride wouldn't let me perform well in her class in English. I just felt like it wouldn't allow me to do what I need to do, and and I made pretty good grades. I just felt. She she would do things to trigger me and, and it would turn turn me out of wanting to not do English at all. Do you think that is that a problem in the classroom? Do you think that's something that happens every day or can it be avoided? I think that um, first, I do think it is it is an issue that's in the classroom. I think it's part of human nature uh, for, for particularly us as adults and really even kids to be in control. And wanting it to be done the way I want it to be done. And I'm not happy because you're not doing it my way, you know. And so a lot of times I think as, as teachers, we want the kid to do it a certain way or or whatever. And you're right. We don't become adaptable to meet the needs of the students. And that has been something I've had to learn as well to do. And that is, you know, to adapt because each kid, like I said, every kid is different. And so for me to step into a classroom and assume um, that every kid is going to learn the same, respond the same. Um, you know, that that's really not even uh, logical to think that. This past year, I had what I consider one of my most difficult classes, but it was difficult not because they had behavior issues. They were difficult because they didn't have behavior issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the reason that they were difficult for me was it was me trying to find ways to connect with kids who already knew exactly how to behave in school and how, you know. Uh, and so that was that was difficult, but I had to, I had to once again conform or being to become flexible to try to meet them where they were at. Uh, so I was so I I I I like to think of myself as being somewhat comical 
And so <laughs> I would be in class and I'll say something that should be comical and should be funny. And they didn't laugh. So they didn't <laughs> laugh at my jokes, you know. And so it was like, how do you connect? You know, how do you get them to relax a little bit in class? Yeah. Um, but I think that as a teacher and as educators, that's kind of what we do sometimes. Sometimes we want it the way we want it to be. And we don't think of what do I need to do to adjust me to help all of them to engage in the classroom. I'm working, you know, I think a lot of times teachers are working really hard to get the kids to see things their way. But instead of stepping back and trying to adjust to see things from the kids perspective, um, you know, a good thing to do a lot of times as a teacher is take a survey in your classroom and, you know, ask questions and get feedback from students. And you're always surprised on the things they say, uh, but they will give good feedback. But I, I agree with you, uh, Dante. And, and, and another thing I'll add to that is I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of times teachers want the um, the angels to teach. They want all of the wonderful and the kids that come in prepared every day, kids that come in ready to learn every day. They want all the, the you know, the just sweet, kind, you know, uniform. But what I always say is that anybody can teach a kid that um, that comes in already ready to learn and has a really strong background, uh, already reading on grade level, you know, has strong work ethic. Right. Anybody can teach them. They almost don't even need a teacher sometimes. But it takes a real teacher to, to get a kid who doesn't like science or doesn't like math or doesn't like English or whatever it is and to uh, find a way to get that kid to like it and maybe even love it or to find himself or herself in that subject and what they can enjoy about it. And that's, and so it goes back to what we talked about before, shifting our focus from all of this other stuff and really shifting it to just the, the magic of teaching and being about the students. Uh, when we become kind of about the student, then we adapt our behavior to connect with the student and to help the student to be successful. I tell students, you know, you, you, you will be successful in this classroom. And the reason I can guarantee success is because I know that as a teacher, I'm going to make adjustments to make sure I meet my students where they're at, figure out why it is that you're not able to do whatever it is, and we're going to come up with a plan, and you're going to be successful in this classroom. Is I'm not going to leave you behind just because you're not doing it my way. I love it. I say that one more time for the people yeah, in the back. I think they time. just missed what you just said. You said that you make what? What is it that you make, Mr. Beasley? Oh, I don't remember what I said. Make adjustments? Yes, sir. That's make what we mm-hmm. yep. Yes, sir. Make Making adjustments. adjustments. Making adjustments. Being able to pivot, right? Like you said, this was your first year that you didn't have scholars that had behavior problems. And so you had to figure out how can I adjust or how can I pivot to this? Right. Because we know that, you know, in, in some, you know, urban schools or some, you know, um, non-urban schools, you know, they have students that, Hey, they have students that have behavior problems. And in some schools have students that don't have any behavior problems Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Um, But I think that that's important to be able to pivot Right. Because you experience something different that you've never experienced before. So just being able to pivot, like I commend you for that, because that's amazing. Um, I got a, I got a question just to talking about pivot. We're pivoting real quick. So I have a question that I want to ask you real quick. Um, what is a piece of advice that you would give to somebody that's starting out or that may be interested 
with wanting to be a teacher? Um, well, I think a couple of key pieces of advice. One is, uh, I kind of mentioned before, being organized. Uh, have a, <coughs> excuse me, have an okay. organizational okay. system for yourself to make sure that you don't become overwhelmed. So organize your time, organize your room, make it friendly for yourself. Um, have a plan in place because um, if you don't have a plan for the students, if you don't, if I don't have a strat plan for how we're going to sharpen pencils or how we're going to pass out papers, you're going to end up with 25 different plans or 25 different ways of doing it. So I think if you're stepping into the classroom, you got to have kind of a plan and be, you know, think ahead of everything you're going to do in the room and have a strategy, how you're going to line the kids up, how they're going to sit down, what they're going to do when they first come in the classroom. All of that you have to kind of be thinking on the forefront in order to minimize issues in the room because uh, they used to say idle hands is a devil's workshop. Well, that's true in the classroom too. Idle time is when uh, mischief occurs and idle time is when issues arise. So making sure that you're well planned. And then, like I said, the last thing that I would tell teachers, know your students, have a relationship with your students. Get to know them. Let them get to know you. You know, it's it's not a um, and I know we're professionals and you know, a lot of times we don't want to be personal. And I'm not saying tell children all your business, but I'm saying it's OK for kids to know what your favorite candy is. It's OK for kids to know what you like to do in your pastime. But, you know, sometimes you, know, you have to step down and not make it where a kid sees you as this person that's way up here and I can't touch you. Uh, kids have to feel like they can connect with their teacher and have a relationship with the teacher. Uh, a lot of teachers frown on lunch, eating with students, because um, we eat in the classroom. A lot of teachers <laughs> frown on that. But when I when I taught elementary, it was always such a joy to eat with them. And I would plan my week that I would eat. Uh, on Tuesday, I would eat with this group. And on Wednesday, I'd eat with this group. You know, I would spend at least a couple days. Some days I take them back to the classroom and, you know, I take all the girls up there one day and then I take all the boys up another. But those were just those times uh, that they're not you getting to listen to them talk about whatever it is they enjoy uh, and you're getting to know them and they're connecting with you and you're not instructing them. You're not disciplining them. You're just the adult at the table sitting there listening to them. And um, and that's what makes, you know, even now we have lunch in the classroom. You know, I, I eat with them and, and listen to them and we talk. And, you know, I just don't stand over my food. You know, I want you close to my food. But we talk to each other. Uh, <laughs> get to know them. Um, get to know them. Go to, you know, go, in the, go to their sporting events, but get to know them. But let them get to know you. That's key because uh, there was an educator on a TED Talk who said students don't learn from teachers they don't like. And I disagreed with her when I heard that because I always thought, what does liking have to do with it? But I learned she was a retired educator. But that's very true. Students struggle to learn from teachers they don't like. Uh, and teachers, students don't like teachers who they think don't like them. And I probably did say that again. T students don't like teachers who they think don't like them. So it's important that we, as the adult in the room, as the teacher, we make sure we make a special effort to make sure all of our kids know that we like them, we care about them, we don't have favorites, you know. And that's why I said when I would eat lunch with them, 
uh, I would eat lunch with this group one day and lunch with that group because I wasn't picking favorites of who I was eating with. You have to have that connection. And I think if you can get a good relationship on the bottom, uh, you know, the beginning of the year, then you're going to set yourself up for, for a really good relation. I mean, a good school year with kids working hard for you and doing their best for you. And um, so that would be my advice to anyone who's entering the profession. And then lastly, don't lose your passion for teaching. Don't forget why you're there. We're there for the kids. We are that we are there for the children. And don't let all that other stuff. Don't let the other teachers who are complaining, don't let them, you know, you know, uh, pull you off track. You know, them and their complaining or whining. You remember what you're there for. Because I'm telling you, there's no love like a student love to a teacher. And there's no love like a teacher's love to a student. But your students end up loving you. And it is awesome to watch them grow. I love it. All right. So building relationships, being organized, being organized, building relationships. And what was the last thing did you say? Planning ahead. Having a plan. Having a plan. Planning ahead, too. Planning ahead. Yep. Starting having a plan. So being organized, yeah. having a plan and building relationships. And don't and forget, don't forget, though, don't forget why you're there. You said don't forget your passion. It's all uh, about your passion. That's what it was. Yeah. So building relationships, being organized and not forgetting your passion. And those three things right there for anybody that's interested in wanting to be an educator. Mr. Beasley just literally dropped some gems for you. So if you're interested in wanting to be an educator, you're interested to wanting to work in the education space, you need to make sure that you do those three things so that that way you can add the most value to the scholars that you encounter. I love it. Dante, go ahead, man. We got two more questions, Mr. Beasley, and then we'll get up out your hair, okay? All right, Mr. Beasley. All right. Question for you right here. This we ask everybody this question. You can answer this however you want to. Everybody gets this question, no matter who it is. Is there a number, if there was a number, that teachers could get paid? Or is there a plan or structure or some kind of foundation you think that could be set in place to make educators feel their value to the fullest? Or should I say... Do you think there's a number that could equal the same amount of value that you put in, the same amount of hours you put in every year as an educator? Is there a number? I don't know if there's a magic number uh, because everyone's different. But I will tell you that probably the greatest uh, complaint from teachers is the lack of being uh, appreciated uh, verbally or expressively. So I think that, uh, you know, I think that certainly, you know, I think the pay is a reflection of the lack of appreciation. Uh, we, we value a doctor because a doctor has the skills in order to put your, you know, put your, make your heart work right or put your body back together. A surgeon does that, I guess. Uh, a doctor has the skills to provide, pre prescribe medication to make you feel better. So we have a amount of money that doctors make because of that. But no one ever thinks about teachers have the capability to really change the trajectory of a student's life. Wow. Teachers have the ability to uh, a, a foundational in all three of us and everyone that watches 
of this podcast or watches anything, teachers are at the foundation of that because they're the ones that sow those seeds. They're the ones that believe in the student. They're the ones that push students and encourage students and, and uh, you know, show, uh, uh, cre uh, not create the growth, but help students to grow and uh, acknowledge the growth of the student. And so, but you rarely hear anyone say, you know, it was, you do hear people say it was my teacher that inspired me, but you rarely hear uh, persons in the government or persons of uh, levels of authority say things like, you know, our teachers are doing an amazing job. Our teachers did a, you know, a great job. Thank God for the teachers. Thank goodness for teachers. You don't hear those type of accolades with teachers. And when you add in the fact that the teacher's uh, salary, uh, the, the value that a teacher puts into a student is really should be equivalent to that of, uh, of, a, of a doctor uh, or somewhere in that ballpark. And when you think of the salary doesn't even align with that, I think it's, it just makes it where people see teachers in a negative light. Uh, you know, there's a lack of value for the teacher. I mean, it just gonna end up, it just ends up being that way because there's no dollar amount. And it's it's the way it would be anything else. A Mercedes Benz has a value amount because it's a because of the name brand and because of certain things that goes along with that. And so we value it and we say it's 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 worth this amount of money because of certain attributes it has. But a teacher for some reason is never seen as being valuable in the community. So I don't know if there's a dollar amount. I think that if, if if people really want to turn things around, I think that they will start first by just giving more accolades and acknowledging the work that teachers do, the hard work teachers do. And then that their parents would step back and realize that teachers have your kids for seven hours a day. They are planting seeds in them. They're encouraging them. They're taking, you know, they're taking care of your baby. They're taking care of your child. And, um, and so there's a value associated with that. And we ought to respect the educator. And not only that, but educators have to be educated, you know. So uh, there should be a respect level that goes with education. That's good. That's that's good. That's that's real good. Now, I got a theory on this. So if this comes out one day, I said this on many episodes. If this ever comes out, Mr. Beasley, you heard it here first. Okay. Because I'm big on essentials for people who, whether it be a nurse I'm a doctor. I'm big on essentials. I just feel like if there was a plan, everybody needs a house. Everybody needs a car. So I feel like entry level for a teacher, there should be some kind of plan and there should be some kind of median for a teacher to make. And there should be some kind of housing. If every teacher that came into the education field, no matter what you teach and had an actual house, it could be a two bedroom, whatever, an actual car, standard size, four-door sedan or truck. I think you should have an SUV, something in place right there. I think automatically you will get the turnover will be less. Automatically. Like I said, this is my theory now. So if you if this comes up five years from now and the Department of Education say, hey, we're going to do this, you heard it here first. But Dante, if I can even respond to that, you know, um, Teachers are are not even really compensated for the, all the things we do outside of, you know, the, the scope of our job. We're not even compensated. So, for example, um, you know, particularly particularly elementary school teachers are uh, 
they are, you know, wanted to decorate your room. Right. Well, who do you think pays for that? <laughs> the teacher pays for that out of their pocket. Absolutely. A lot of the supplies that are in that room, the teacher pays for that out of supply. And so in the regular world of working, if I worked when I worked at, in banking, I didn't have to supply things yeah. to the bank. The bank bought it and supplied it for me. But for teachers, you know, mostly everything, a lot of stuff that you want. And so most teachers spend, you know, at the beginning of the year, a couple hundred dollars or more. Uh, I mean, they do give you a a little uh, some money after the school year starts, but your room has to be decorated before the school year starts. So, uh, you know, all of that is incentives for the kids. A lot of that even comes out of the pockets of the teachers. So we spend money in order to teach other people's kids. And I don't even know if people realize how much we invest financially into the lives of our kids. I love it. I love it. I love it. So. So you feel that if teachers were affirmed better, then the the there you feel like you feel like the teachers would would do better or do more. Am, am I understanding that correctly? I appreciate it because we yeah because we're typically we're kind of like the children. When I say that uh, students are that are used to being told what they're doing wrong. Typically, teachers hear all the things we're not doing right. Uh, if a kid doesn't do well, you know, it, it just we always get a lot of negative feedback. But I think if that was more uh, like like you said, you know, more uh, affirmation and more uh, encouragement and more positivity. And that is to, and to be honest with you, that is a that is a, a, a basic business strategy. If you study companies that have uh, great workplaces, like I think Google has one, McKee Foods used to have be one of the top in the country, but it was the perks and the things they did for their employees that showed appreciation that made people want to work there. And it reduced retention significantly. I mean, reduced turnover, excuse me, significantly. But if you if a if if a school, if a school district was ran like a business in that aspect, you would have less retention. I mean less turnover. I keep saying less retention. You want retention, less turnover, uh, but just incentivizing, you know, and, and telling them thank you and and all of that kind of stuff. If you look at some of the companies that have low turnover rates and you see the strategy they're using, our school systems could do the same thing. I love it. I love it. So basically, the whole podcast is basically just making an effort, right? Just mm -hmm. making an effort and putting an effort to show appreciation or to build that relationship or to, you know, um, show kids, you know, that they are equal or all scholars are equal and not treating, you know, students um you know, one or two students are, are not the same, treating them as an individual and just build, building that relationship and being organized and, and everything of everything of that nature and having a passion for teaching and things of that nature. It all boils down to just making the effort. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times educators that get burnt out or that have, you know, these issues that with, you know, quote unquote, they say bad kids and things of that nature, like you're not making the effort to build that relationship. And so um, my last question, Mr. Bees, and I told you we had two more. This is the last one before we get out of your hair and get off of here. Um, where would you like to see education in the next five to 10 years? Now, wait, before you answer this, I want you to answer this from the lens of you being a teacher, because you already told us early on that you, you don't want to be an administrator, you know what I'm saying? And things of that nature. So I want you to answer this from the lens of, of a teacher. Um, and I know that you worked at middle school and elementary. So 
where would you like to see education in the next five to 10 years? I would like to see um, education become more equitable across mm -hmm. school districts. Uh, a lot of the critiquing that even happens for a lot of the critiquing for teachers and a lot of the uh, the the critiquing that goes on to students and is passed to students is really a result of lack of equity uh, within our, our district and within the school system. And I would love to see educators. Um, we don't have a plan. We don't have a plan on how to catch kids up. We don't have a plan on how to prevent. We, we, we say we have a plan to catch them up. You know, we can put them in summer school and we have read 20 programs in the summertime, but we have to think in terms if, of, of being equitable and getting all our kids on the same playing field to begin with in order for all of them to be successful. So I would love for education to move from uh, being a, a, a kind of a, a com competition. This school is better than that school. And, you know, every student deserves an opportunity to have a great education. Every student deserves an opportunity to have great teachers. It is responsibility of those persons that are in charge to make sure that we are providing equitable access to all of our students. If we know that uh, a lot of our kids are living in poverty or from lower income families, we know that they're coming into school uh, not reading on reading level. We know when they came in as a kindergartner, they were struggling with alphabet and struggling with reading versus that student that may come from more of a middle class or upper class family that already is reading, you know, has a, a vocabulary of 4,000 plus words or what have you. If we know that, which we do know that, uh, what are we going to do to fix it? What do we do? What do we do to fix it? Because if you're behind, you got to come up with, come up with a strategy to stop being behind. We cannot wait till our kids get in kindergarten to to realize that they're behind in reading, and if they're behind in reading, then they're going to be behind in everything else. They're behind, and they don't have number sense at the kindergarten level. I would hope that our schools would eventually realize that we need to be in the preventative. Let's stop being reactive. Let's be proactive and let's prevent this. Let's make sure that all of our students across the district have access to uh, Head Start or Pre-K or whatever that you want to call it. But kids need to be in a learning environment as early as three. If we, got, if we have all of our kids, regardless of zip code, if we had an educational system that had all of our kids, regardless of zip code, in an educational learning facility at age three, and I'm not necessarily saying, um, you know, some kids get a chance that some parents put their kids in daycare, daycares to have that because they can afford it, but some parents can't afford that. So when I say making it equitable, I'm saying, how, what do we do to make sure that if I can't afford to spend this money on a daycare every month or every week, what do I do for this kid, these kids, to ensure that at three years old, they're in a learning facility, they're learning their alphabet, they're learning some sight words, they're learning their numbers, they're getting some number sense, so that when they get to kindergarten, they're all on the same playing field. And from that point, everybody will, uh, will you know, will move up at almost a, an equal pace. Or at least everybody's on the on the same playing field. And if I mean you never get a perfection of 100 percent But what I'm saying is that 
right now, you know, it seems like we want to change curriculums. We want to change this. We want to blame it on the teacher. We, want to blame, we know where the problem really lies. And it's not, we want to blame it on the parent. It's not a parent issue. It's, it doesn't make a difference who you want to blame. Fix the problem. Fix the problem. If the, if the hole has, if the bucket has a hole in the bottom, it doesn't make any difference whether I blame Dante for the hole in the bottom or I blame Logan for the hole in the bottom or I blame the people across the street for the hole in the bottom. The important thing is to fix the hole that's in the bucket. And so I would hope that our educational system at some point will say, hey, let's fix this hole in the bucket. Let's take some dollars and let's make sure that all of our urban youth have access to Head Start, have access to learning centers at three years old so that when they come in, everybody kind of comes in on the same playing field because those, those kindergarten teachers and first and second grade teachers and third grade, they play catch up year after year after year after year. And they'll get critiqued and told how bad of a job they're doing because their child is not reading, their student is not reading, or the majority of their kids are not reading on grade level. Well, if you're playing catch up, you really worked hard to get them where you had them, but you're not being acknowledged for that. But instead you're being criticized because you're not equivalent, your student is not performing equivalent to that student who went to a, a private learning academy when they were three and four years old and so uh that's what i would hope that our school district would and at some point would say okay let's just get all of our kids let's be the best district we can be let's get all of our kids on the same playing field we know where the problem is at let's step in there let's make it happen and let's make sure that we get early educational access for all of our children. And then we can catch up the ones that's behind, but see if we'll prevent a problem from occurring in the future. All right, I love it, 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 I love it. So Mr. Beasley, again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, for you know coming onto our podcast. Thank you for rocking with us all these years. Um, anything that we can do to serve or help, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, again, guys, listen, I need you all to like and share and subscribe. subscribe. I need you to do all of that. I need y'all to show love in the comments. I need you to do all of that. All right. So again, this is the class and session podcast. I am your host, Logan Taylor, my amazing co-host, Mr. Dante Hampton, and our special guest, Mr. Felix Beasley. Again, thank you so much. We really appreciate we'll it. Thank you, Mr. Beasley. And we'll see you all next time, all right? And always, why be normal when you can be extraordinary?